Welcome to this latest episode in the Project Edward 2021 podcast. My name is James Luckhurst and I'm at the NEC, the National Exhibition Centre in Birmingham, as the countdown clock edges towards zero and the Project Edward Week of Action begins. I'm hoping in the next hour or two to collar a few friends and some colleagues and contacts attending the Emergency Services Show and the Health and Safety Expo, both of which are taking place here. And also in the course of this podcast, we'll drop in on Alan Hiscox from the British Horse Society to get his take on the announcement of forthcoming changes to the highway code, where vulnerable road users come first. And we'll be in Leeds with driving instructor Terry Cook, who's an even more prolific podcaster than us here at Project Edward. But first up, I'm very pleased to be on the arm stand, the Association of Road Risk Management, with Anne-Marie Penny from Driving for Better Business. Anne-Marie, hello, welcome along to the podcast. We're going to be talking a little bit about um, work-related road safety, particularly in the supply chain. First of all, though, what does it feel like being back? There's not been many of these events for a while. It's good to be back and meeting people. Do you know, I had a bit of health anxiety last week, but actually now that I'm here, it's really, really good. It's quite exciting. sense of normality about it, but a sense of um, confidence building, I think, for everybody. And that things are going to be OK. You might like to reassure people of a nervous disposition who can hear dogs barking in the background. <laughs> they're, not to try, they're not out for us and keeping us out or anything. There's a reason that there are dogs here, I suppose. Absolutely. Being at the Emergency Services Show, there's going to be the search and rescue dogs, the uh, drugs dogs, the police dogs. So yeah, it's, it's a lovely environment. It's great to be here. Let's then talk about health and safety, the supply chain and driver safety. Tell us the important things about that. What are the kind of up-and-coming issues in that right now? Every employer who has staff who drive on business has a duty of care to manage those staff. We've been really good in raising awareness about that through Driving for Better Business. So we know that companies are now managing their staff who drive much better, greater awareness. They're seeing the cost benefits of doing that properly. Um, There's a sustainability element that's uh, coming out of that as well. So, so far so good with companies managing their own staff who drive on business. So the next challenge is actually if you employ um, contractors um, or or companies in your supply chain, actually you also have a duty of care to ensure that they are managing work-related road risk in the same way. So we now have a mission um, to make sure that's communicated. Um, A good way to do that is to include it in your procurement processes. So just have the requirement for suppliers to demonstrate that they know what they're doing with work-related road risk. They have a competent person who is managing that within their organisation. And the important thing is to set the standards and then to make sure that you have those regular communications to ensure that there aren't any incidents that need looking at, that actually the staff on the ground are operating roadworthy vehicles and that's really important we can all be careless but in a business environment there really is no excuse for it daily vehicle checks are your suppliers checking their vehicles regularly have they got the records for that have they checked licenses for their drivers because if you are employing a um, a company to do some work for you you can be held vicariously liable if you haven't ensured these things are in place Let's just talk about the past 18 months and how we're hopefully emerging into some sort of new normal, but there must have been a massive impact on driving for work because no one was going anywhere. So that brings in a new issue. So lots of vehicles back on the road, lots of drivers back on the road, probably a bit blasé about, oh, things are just as they always were. That's where you may want to put in a little warning and give some advice. 
at the very beginning of lockdown last year, a bit of a, a shock to the system. We didn't go anywhere. It was essential drivers only. So very quickly we developed a COVID-19 transport toolkit just to help drivers and employees under, uh, employers understand what they had to do under the law, under the new guidance. Um, it also applied to people who were furloughed, um, that was a worrying time, and also vehicles that were mothballed. So we've had those come out of being mothballed, we've had drivers that have been furloughed back to work, but we're still not quite back to pre-pandemic levels of um, driving um, on the road, level, traffic levels on the road. However, standards have dropped. I think people, you don't forget how to drive, but sometimes it's easy just to forget how important it is to concentrate on the one job, the driving, uh, to make sure that actually you're fit to drive, that you're getting enough sleep at night, that it, all those things, that you're not fatigued. This week has actually been incredibly hot. I don't think anybody quite expected that. Um, so dehydration can also be a problem. So as we get back on the road, it's just remembering, make sure your vehicles are safe, make sure your drivers are fit for the road, and just follow all the guidance from companies, from the policies, from the highway code make sure everybody is safe secure and check on that health and well-being piece as well there's lots more information um, at the driving for better business website and there's plenty there to help you ensure that you've got everything in place to manage drivers to manage those journeys um, and keep everybody safe on the road there's one more question if i may is that's to understand the data because gathering data measuring safety and performance must be key. I mean, it's fine giving out good bits of information and, and advice that's easy to follow, but in, in terms of like, if you get 95% compliance with your latest piece of technology, then you kind of feel good about it. But what should be the key performance indicators or, or the measures? I mean, you could look at you know, 95% of your drivers not having a ticket in the past 12 months or a 10% reduction in reversing incidents. What are the, what are the metrics? What are the, the, the big things to be paying attention to? Yeah, that's a really good point, James. Um, on the website, uh, we do have case studies that show um, good manage of work-related road risk and how people have managed to see the benefits. And the benefits are, uh, and these are things you can measure, things like fuel usage. That's a really important thing at the moment um, with discussions ongoing about uh, not using oil, going to electric vehicles. So you can measure your fuel usage. You can measure whether your staff are having collisions. You should be under the law measuring that. Um, you'll also know whether or not they're, ha they're having notices of intended prosecution for offences so all of these things should be measured and if you're measuring these things you'll note that when you start measuring them if you're managing well they'll start to reduce the risk will start to reduce the fuel usage will start to reduce servicing costs um, your staff will be happier because actually you're providing them with a better environment to work within so um, there are some key things to measure if you go and have a look at the case studies on the Driving with Better Business website, there's a, a rundown there of all of the things that are key measurement points uh, if you're managing drivers. That's really interesting, Amory. Thank you so much. And also, thank you to Driving for Better Business for all the support you've given for, for Project Edward. Well, OK, we'll, we'll leave Anne-Marie um, in peace for a bit. It's a, it's a busy old hall, so there'll be plenty of people coming in behind me. We'll all be familiar with a, a recent announcement that priorities are to be given in a hierarchical system to vulnerable road users when the new highway code is published. So that's good news for pedestrians and cyclists, and also, I think, good news for horse riders. I talked to Alan Hiscox, Head of Safety from the British Horse Society, to gauge his reaction.
Um, I think absolutely uh, excellent news, actually, James, for us to be included with cyclists and pedestrians in the vulnerable road users sort of category. Um, and there's some, some really uh, significant changes, I hope, that will um, that come about specifically, um, rather than just having the term pass horses wide and slow, we're actually going to, hopefully with the DFT's uh, agreement, put in uh, a specific uh, speed and also a distance that recommends how um, drivers should pass horses and also you know not sanding your horn or revving your engine and driving away slowly so hopefully all the British Horse Society dead slow messages will appear in the um, in the highway code. Let's have a little bit of a, a, a deeper look at, at horses on the road a lot of people will say well why do they need to be on the road in the first place aren't they better off in fields and on forest tracks and things. So shouldn't you be encouraging your members to, to use their horses off the road rather than on it? Well, that is um, something that I hear every now and then, but um, there's very little off-road riding available for uh, the horse riders. So when you see a horse on the road, it is because the rider is trying to get from their stable to a bridleway or a multi-user route or um, they're getting from one bridleway to another bridleway. So you know, I can assure all drivers that horses and riders don't want to be on the roads. We're only there because we haven't got safe off-road access anywhere else. So that's why it's really important when you see on the, a horse on the road, they're not trying to slow you down. They're not trying to give, uh, cause you an inconvenience because there's just nowhere else for them to ride or they're going to a safe off-road access. I suppose it's very hard having two brains at work, a human brain and a horse brain, because you can't really see or, or anticipate what a horse may do, even the best behaved horses. I mean, you must have experience of that, being a highly experienced rider yourself, where horses have just done things you'd never have expected. Well, yeah, exactly. They, they, they are flight animals. And um, yeah, I did spend you know, quite a few years in the mounted police. And I can assure everybody that even, you know, the best trained mounted police officer uh, horse will react to something. It might only be a flick of an ear or movement of a muscle, but that flight instinct is always in the horses. So, you know, a, a crisp bag on the side of the road or a bird flying out of a, uh, a hedge, you know, may cause the, the horse to react. Uh, and that's why we have that um, two metres distance, so that if the horse does move slightly from one side um, to, to, uh, or the other, then there is that, that gap for, for, for the horse to make. And, um, you know, it, it, I don't want to anthropomorphise this too much, but horses will sort of have their own risk assessment. They're either going to remove, reduce or avoid something that they're unsure of. Remove by kicking out, you know, avoid of moving to one side or avoid by turning around and going the other way. But if drivers, you know, accept and look at our, um, our dead slow advice, then they can help the horse accept that risk. And that is, you know, if you see a horse on the road, slow down to a maximum of 15 miles an hour. You know, don't send your horn or rev your engine. You know, when it's safe to do so, pass the horse wide and slow, at least, you know, a two meters distance and drive slowly away. So yeah, they are all flight uh, animals, as you say. Let's have a look at that pass wide and slow, that two metres passing of a, of a horse, because the police are now kind of enforcing that in their Operation Close Pass. Well, obviously not at every location, but 
more frequently there are close pass operations. What's involved in, in one and, and what risks does a driver face for not complying with the highway code? Well, we're uh, working with uh, quite a few uh, police units uh, around the UK and um, mounted units uh, are in, in plain clothes and they will go uh, right out on a road and there'll be a traffic car further up the road. And if a driver does pass the horse too fast or too close, then they are stopped and brought back and um, you know, educated as to how to pass uh, the horse safely. Um, I mean, if it really is you know, a bad pass of a horse, then uh, there, there is some uh, enforcement that can take place. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's catching on around the country and close pass operations in the same way as, as cyclists are being used with, um, with riders and horses uh, you know, around the area. There's one uh, coming up very soon in Thames Valley Police and one down in Sussex. So um, you know, it's, it's really catching on. You have an involvement through the, the British Horse Society in Project Edward, and I think Sussex will be part of that, a close pass operation somewhere near Ditchling in, in Sussex. Tell us what will happen, what, what will, how, that, how will that be set up, and who needs to be involved, and, and how are the measurements taken? Um, well, the roads policing unit will uh, will be there, and the casualty reduction unit. They're, they'll be setting up with, um, uh, I think, an engagement vehicle which uh, shows drivers how to pass horses safely. Uh, a horse will be uh, on the road, and um, I will actually be riding that horse. Um, and there will be uh, traffic vehicles around, so that when you know a, a car passes, you know my horse too fast or too close then um, a signal will be given and that driver will be asked to return to the engagement vehicle and be shown how to pass horses safely. Um, you know, we're, we're very um, you know, excited about this because it is in an area where, have, where incidents have been reported to us at the British Horse Society. So there's this sort of um, knock-on effect where uh, incidents have, uh, have, have happened um, and the police are actually you know, taking action and um, you know, in, engaging, educating and um, you know, enforcing that uh, uh, how to pass horses safely, which I, I think is a great collaboration between the British Horse Society and, and the police. That was Alan Hiscox from the British Horse Society. Well, I've been wandering along the busy aisles of the emergency services show, and I've landed here with Ian Greenman from the United Kingdom Rescue Association. Ian, it's great to catch up with you. You've done so much to prepare Project Edward for next week and some exciting things going on. Give us a little taster of what to expect when we tune in to your rescue challenge from Newcastle on Friday of next week. What's, got, what's going to be happening? Who's going to be there? And why is it important? Okay, thanks, James. Next year, next week, sorry, uh, in Newcastle is the 2021 National Rescue Challenge where our host fire and rescue service from the UK uh, step up and host it each year. Um, it's an event which will attract several hundred firefighters from all over the country. Uh, looking to um, display their skills and professionalism in road traffic uh, collisions, uh, water, uh, rope, urban search and rescue and trauma. Um, so a uh, massive event which uh, is going to be held on the quayside uh, on the River Tyne in Newcastle. So a fantastic venue um, and again with Project Edwards launch next week we in the UKRO are very excited to work with you and hopefully look forward to two um, um, events on Friday morning where you'll be able to see what we do, some of our demonstrations uh, and speak to some of our key personnel who will be able to explain a little bit more. 
Why is it important that firefighters should be doing these sorts of events? Um, I think what it does, it, um, it, it fine-tunes and hones in on their skill sets. Unfortunately, road traffic collisions are on the increase and despite all the education each fire and rescue service does with its respective communities, it is very, very difficult at the moment to drive those figures down. So if we can't drive the figures down, what we can do is to try and ensure that our firefighters are as best prepared as they can be to carry out what we call a casualty centre extrication and basically to give that casualty who's involved in a road traffic collision every chance of survival. You're going to be at the roadside working with possibly surgeons, paramedics, police, all sorts of people who have some say in what goes on. Can you just explain who has primacy and whose job is deemed the most important and, and who you answer to when you're doing your job? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that it's very much a team effort. Um, depending on who arrives at the scene first and depending on the scene they're faced with will depend on whether police have primacy, um, ambulance service have primacy or ourselves. Um, rather than say one person is in definitive charge um, or in command, we like to work with our respective partner agencies and as I said just now, the very much the focus is on that casualty. What the fire service do, they bring a very disciplined approach to what they do um, we deal with every RTC in a very similar manner. The concept we use is what we call a team approach and that team approach deals with our incident in five distinct phases. We, with our work with the paramedics, with the police service, they understand what we try to do and rather than work against, we try and work with. We, we explain time frames, we explain what we're doing and how we try to create the maximum amount of space so that casualty can come out in the most logical, sequential way in the minimal amount of time. So I'd like to call it very much a team approach from fire service along with doctors, HEMS, paramedics, helicopter crews, whatever may be the case, very much joined up team effort. One thing you can't plan for is the effect a road traffic collision can have on an emergency service practitioner. However experienced, however long you've been in the job, there must be times when you it can be just overwhelming, maybe not at the scene, but afterwards. Can you just kind of give me an insight into that? Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, I recently retired from the Fire and Rest Service, having done 34 years. Um, dealt with a significant amount of road traffic collisions in my time. Um, unfortunately, you never prepare yourself fully for what you may encounter. And I think when you become a parent yourself, it's always very, very difficult when, when there's children involved and very, very difficult when you have children of, of driving age as well. I think it's fair to say every fire and rest service in the country now deal with it in a very professional manner, um, very much linking in with occupational health to ensure that that support is there at all times for firefighters, that if they do deal with a very traumatic incident or have to deal with a family at the scene, that all the respective occupational health support guidance is there to see that firefighter through whatever traumatic experience they've, they've um, encountered. Ian, thank you very much. One more question. I believe the World Rescue Organisation president is coming from Luxembourg to Newcastle and is going to spare us a few moments for a chat uh, in one of our shows, on, which will be on Friday morning. Will things be similar in Luxembourg? Do you have the same procedures in the UK? Is it the same the world over? Will, will he be talking from the same briefing sheet as you do? 
Yeah, the World Rescue Organization chairman, Paul Schroeder, um, as you say, is going to be attending uh, the first time in several years. So excited to see him coming. United Kingdom Rescue Organization is part of the, the wider World Rescue Organization. We do share our concepts, our ideas, our innovations in a, many, a great many countries around the world. It's not exactly the same, but that phrase I used earlier about a team approach is very much used wherever the UKRO or the World Rescue represent that country. So I think it is fair to say that the general ethos of how to deal with a road traffic collision from an emergency service perspective will be very similar. Um, and I'm sure Paul will confirm that for you next week. Well, Ian, thank you so much to you, Ian Greenman, and to your colleagues from UKRO because you've been so helpful for us at Project Edward. And I know next week's going to be very exciting. So good luck with your event in Newcastle. Thank you. Thank you. OK, let's pause for a minute or two from the busy atmosphere of the NEC and talk about mindfulness, mental health and learner drivers. An odd combination, perhaps. Well, not according to one driving instructor from Leeds that I managed to catch up with a couple of days ago. Uh, yeah, I'm Terry Cook. I'm a driving instructor. I run a podcast, actually, called The Instructor Podcast, which is aimed for instructors. I also run two other podcasts uh, for learner drivers called The Five Minute Theory and The Driving Test Tales, both of which do what they say on the tin. The things I'm sort of optimistic about in our industry, if I'm being completely honest, it, it's the young people. It's not so much the, the industry itself, it's the people coming into it. I like this current generation, these 17, 18, 19 ones that are coming through, they seem a lot more clued up and switched on than I was at that age. Around stuff, and this, this is sort of a bit more broader, but around stuff like um, gender equality and, and race issues, stuff like that, they seem much more open on. But, but even beyond that, I think the idea of safety, I've, I've got students at the minute that are arguing with their parents because their parents want them to be taking a test after 10 hours, and they're like, no, we're I mean, not like that anymore. The world has changed. There's thousands more cars on the road. So I think the, the biggest thing I'm optimistic about is actually the, the young people I'm engaging with. I believe your eldest student was 60 years old. Why would somebody age 60 even bother starting the process of learning to drive? I mean, you're never too old to learn to drive. You're never too, what's it, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, we taught this old dog new tricks. He did really well. Um, for him personally, it was a job offer he'd got. Um, I forget what his job was now but he needed to travel for this job so that was a big thing for him but you know there could be any number of reasons it could be I know of instructors that have taught people older than that because their partners sadly passed away and they were the one that used to drive to shops so the, the 70 year old would then learn to drive so they could do those regular regular trips that they're no longer able to do Let's think seriously about the future. How different will your job be in 10 years from now if you're still doing it? Good question. And it's a hard one to predict, if I'm being honest, because we've got lots of innovation going on with electric cars and uh, autonomous cars and that side of it. But I would say, from my personal opinion, is that for a long time you're still going to need driving tests. Because even with the, the autonomous cars, they're still going to be require someone that can drive to be ready to take over if necessary. So I think the driving test will, 
will still be valid and I think lessons will still be valid but the way lessons are conducted will change so there is uh, an approach at the minute where we're going more from the instructor mentality to a coaching mentality you know we're not telling people what to do we're getting the learning out of them rather than putting the learning in and I think that's initially the biggest difference the way we're teaching and then as we go along the, the maybe the things we're teaching like I think the first, first big one will be more and more electric cars more and more automatic cars we're going to come away more from manual um, in fact I'm planning on going electric over the next couple of years so so yeah I think that will be the next big change When I was 17 I remember being met by a driving instructor at the end of the school day he had a wooden leg actually I remember that bit and um, and round Amersham and High Wycombe we would go for an hour an hour and a half and I'd be dropped off home and that was it and the, the next week I did the same thing there were no websites and no recommendations for study aids or additional learning I guess that was nearly 40 years ago things a bit different now then Terry yes uh, largely I mean look there are still instructors that, that take that approach it isn't a, there hasn't been a revolution but there is a change and I'll use in myself as the example um, I've got a Facebook group for my learners they all come in there I do live videos in every week I do Q&A sessions in there I put training videos up for them but that's just what I do there are, there's other stuff out there as well um, where you can go on and get training around dealing test day nerves and stuff like that there's pass packs for when they come into lesson um, there's podcasts out there I mentioned mine but there's others out there that are aimed at learners as well and plus you've got all this stuff on social media where people are just providing constant resources on YouTube and TikTok all for the for the youth for today that's quite interesting let's just touch on that thing about mental attitude mindfulness how big is that in driver learning at the moment uh, it's getting bigger it's not big but it's getting bigger I've just completed a course on mindfulness for, for ADIs and it's impacting the way I teach in the you know when students come to a lesson I'm asking them about their I'm not prying but I'm asking them about their emotional state to make sure that they're okay to do a lesson because you know we, we've all done it you know we're human we make mistakes when we drive and sometimes we drive when we shouldn't you know if you're in a particularly angry mood or you're upset well that's what we're speaking about on lessons more as well you know should you really be driving today you know and, and finding out that from the student and, and sometimes during a lesson saying pulling over and getting out the car for a minute, stretching their legs, letting them calm down if something's occurred and or maybe just even going as far as to take a, a minute or two meditation in the car. That's sort of a, a little bit further than what I do, but it's just embracing the emotional side of it as well as the actual skill side. Finally, Terry, just share a couple of expert tips for any driver, regardless of whether it's their very first journey or they've been driving for 50 years. Plan. First and foremost, plan. So whether you're planning for your first lesson or planning to to drive to work, you know, if you know that it's going to be bad weather the next day, get up 15 minutes earlier. So, you you know, you're not rushing about to get to work. So just just plan first and foremost, whatever you're doing. And second one, this is not necessarily specifically for an individual uh, task or item but learn never be afraid to, to learn and go back so if you've not had a lesson for 10 years or you know 50 years get yourself assessed just book a lesson with an instructor or, or whatever you want to do and, and don't be afraid to go so whether that's an official lesson with someone like the uh, with, with Rosper or the Institute of Advanced Motorists or whether it's even just getting um, getting another driving instructor to assess you um, never be afraid to do a little bit of extra learning to keep yourself safe 
That was Terry Cook, a driving instructor from Leeds. And that's it for this episode. Do pop over to the Project Edward website to check the extensive agenda for our three road trips that kick off on Monday. Don't miss the chance to win a dash cam from Next Base in our Spin the Tire competitions. And if you want to comment on anything you've heard today, please do join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag Project Edward. The producer for this programme was Peter Baker. I'm James Luckhurst from the NEC. It's goodbye and thanks for listening.